0: Star. You should always have your Bible when you come to church. But you're going to need to turn to Galatians chapter 5, and that's where we're going to be picking up today. We're actually looking at verses 2 through 6. I always encourage everybody that comes to the journey, it is so helpful to have that scripture in front of you because anytime I preach, I want you to look past me and look at that scripture and judge what I say and see if it matches up with what the Word of God says because the Word of God is what is infallible, not me. But I want to help you be a guide to that. So it helps to have that passage in front of you. But Galatians, as we've been studying over these past 14 weeks, it's a book that's written by Paul to a group of churches. A group of churches who were planted uh, with the help of Paul, and, and they believe that Jesus was this Christ that the Jews had been hoping for. And and these were the first people on the planet Earth that called themselves Christians. Isn't that, I, I just think that's fascinating. This specific group of churches, they were the first people to be known as the Christians. And so they were new Christians in brand new churches. And because of that, they were a little clumsy with what they believed, a little naive perhaps. And I think that's reasonable. I mean, you and I can all relate to that on some level, right? I mean... When you become a believer, you don't have it all figured out. And even if you've lived your whole life seemingly as a believer and you're here today, you would admit you still don't have it all figured out. We can all relate to the clumsiness that you feel sometimes when you try to figure out the details of the Christian faith. Sometimes you're just clumsy, sometimes you're naive, and I think that's just reasonable. When you start really digging into the weeds of the Christian faith, there are so many doctrines to consider. Just as soon as you dedicate the time to really understanding a, a single doctrine in the Christian faith, there's always another one around the corner that makes you feel clumsy and <laughs> all over again. Like, oh man, I, and then you learn a new doctrine and it kind of it affects the one that you learned over here, and then you gotta, you got to go back and recalculate and think, and there's just a lot to consider. And so anytime someone's clumsy in what they believe or or naive in what they believe, maybe we shouldn't come down hard on them. We're all there to some degree. You know, I know early early in my college years, that's that's really for me, that's when I really started to take ownership of my faith. That's where I really started to uh, dig in and participate as a believer on my own. It wasn't just about... Uh, me going to church because my parents said so or anything like that. It was me really seeing that this was going to be something I was going to do in life. And I remember at that point in time being a believer and, and, and Amanda and I were dating at that point in time. And, and really just the naivety is really what strikes me when I think about those days. I just believe that all Christians believed the same things. I thought all the Christians were right. I thought that uh, all all of the Christian teachers that were out there, they had my best interest in mind, right? I I just believe that, you know, all faith is good faith, and and Christianity, you know, it's it's just all good. So if there was was a label over the music that uh, was being played, this is Christian music, well, then I listened. Well, it has to be good, right? It's Christian music. Of course it's good. If there was a genre in the bookstore titled Christianity, I accepted it as truth it must be all right that's the christian stuff that's the good stuff that's the stuff we should be reading you know when it comes to a store selling christian merchandise right i just figured well this store's good it's, it's all it's all great you know I, you know i never did even early in my christian faith i never did wear the christian t-shirts though uh I'm a, i was already a big enough dork i didn't need to double down on that by wearing christian t-shirts everywhere i went so i never did But you know, even when you think of the the Christian, uh, like the the Christian television, I would just watch, I would watch anything and I would just soak it in, just take it in. It's all good, right? It's Christian. The Trinity Broadcasting Network, right? That was always in your cable package, just like me back in the days, right? I remember flipping that on and trying to watch it all the time. And maybe you're like me you felt kind of guilty because you didn't like it. <laughs> like, there's just something about it that I just didn't, I just never liked it. And I was like, man, I'm just a bad Christian because when I turn on TBN, I, 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 I don't like this. This is not fun for me. But I would make myself watch it from time to time, especially when I was at Indiana University because, uh, you know, there was a lot of church skipping going on at times. And so that I could watch TBN to kind of make up for that. And so I remember there was one pastor in particular that I would watch. And again, I, I was just naive. I just figured he was, he was it was all good. I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and even tell you his name just so you can really have a laugh at my expense. This guy's name was Creflo Dollar. His last name was Dollar. <laughs> I didn't even catch that. That's how clumsy I was. I didn't get into the Christian faith because of the money. I just figured nobody else did either. But this guy would get up there and preach, and he was entertaining, and he was a phenomenal communicator. I don't want to take that away from him. He was. All those guys are. And he would, talk, he would, he would brag about how many Mercedes-Benz he had in the garage. He has seven, if you didn't know. He mentioned it practically every week, every time he preached. He would talk about how many homes he had, and he would talk about the square footage in each of those homes, and he would talk about how much God has blessed him with all of these material things. And I didn't know any different. That was, on, that was what was playing on the Christian channel. So I figured that's what Christianity was about. I just thought that was it. I was was young in my faith. I was was naive to all of the Christianese that was out there. And I would often get duped by bad ideas and bad teaching in the Christian faith because I was young. And so you know what? If you're here today and you're like, I definitely don't have it all figured out. I just feel like light years away from having this figured out. I'm glad you're here. We're, we're not here to, to, to come down on you or to talk about how much, like, I know compared to what you know. We're all just on this journey together, and th- it's a process. So wherever you're at in that faith today, hey, I'm, I'm thrilled that you, you are here. We have help. We have God's Word. I don't have it all figured out either, and so I just keep going back to God's Word, and I invite you as a church to 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 come back to the Word of God each and every week so that we can work on this little by little, step by step, and by God's grace we can we can you know make some sense of the Christian faith together. That's my hope here as the church. We're really not caught up in trying to impress you or to wow you when you come to the journey and put on some show for you or anything like that. I, I'm just you know at this point in my walk with God, I'm just sick of that stuff. I, I just want a real genuine experience with other Christian believers. So I'm not, I just, I'm just done with the show. And so that's what we're inviting you to be a part of. So we're just, we're in Galatians 5, and and this is Paul really in this letter correcting those clumsy and those naive beliefs that a lot of Christians work through. So man, by God's grace, what a what a great tool to have, right? Because we're gonna have the same clumsiness they did. We're going to buy things hook, line, and sinker that we shouldn't at times. And we need God's word to sort through it all because there's so much of it out there. And so Paul, what would happen in his days, he and the other apostles, they would go around planting churches. You can read about it in the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. They would go plant churches. And really the book of Acts is is surrounded uh, largely by uh, these three missionary journeys that the apostle Paul even had. And he would go out and he would plant churches and then he would leave that community after a few years and go to over here and plant more churches and then circle back over here and then go over here and plant. And what he would do after he would leave somewhere, he would write letters to those churches that he had previously spent years teaching. And he would hear things like they were buying into a false doctrine or something like that. So he'd correct them, rebuke them. And sometimes they were doing really well and he would, he would, uh, you know, uh, encourage them and, and compliment them in their in their Christian faith. So when you look into the book of Acts though, you actually see this moment in real time, and that's kind of where I want to start today. You see this moment in Acts 20, in which Paul is getting ready to depart the church at Ephesus, and he's actually warning them that this is going to happen. He knows that as soon as he leaves, there's going to be false teachers that come in here and mess up and twist and distort everything that he's been teaching. And so he's in a way saying like, hey, this is going to happen. I'm going to be writing you letters in the future and stuff too, because it's it, we're all, we all got to fight through this together. But look, I'm just going to start here. I think I think I have this marked already. To, for um, You don't have to turn that. I'll read it to you. In Acts, in Acts chapter 20, 26 through 28, he says, he's saying to these elders in Ephesus, I testify to you this day, that I am innocent of the blood of all of you. He's he's got this completed work that he's declaring. For I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves, to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained by his own blood. Paul was getting ready to leave, leave there, and he's like, I've told you the whole counsel of God. I didn't just tell you the stuff you wanted to hear. I didn't just tell you the funny, fuzzy stories to make you feel good. I gave you the whole counsel of God so that you would have a comprehensive, true understanding of this gospel. And, and, and you know, that could, already when I le- read that part, because I'm gonna read a, section, a, a second part of it here in, a, in, a, in, a, in a, just a minute. Already when I read that part though, I get inspired as a preacher. Because the temptation really is to just satisfy you by telling you what I think you want to hear. That is such a temptation as a preacher. Because I know that if I do that, I will get worldly results that feel good for both of us. But Paul didn't have that posture. Paul was like, you know what? I'm I'm innocent of, of all of your blood. I gave it my all. I told you the truth. I can sleep at night, knowing I was honest with you all. I shared with you the whole counsel of God. I didn't shrink back at all. And, and, and I want you to know that when I leave here, you shouldn't shrink back either. You should pay careful attention, he says, to the details. You should pay careful attention and worship there in spirit and truth. And then he goes on to say this. Here's his warning. And I know, this is starting at 29, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after there after them therefore be alert so that was in real time that's when it was happening paul saying this is what's going to happen and it is what happened when we're studying in galatians this is one of those letters he had to write back to a church who got sloppy he left and they didn't stay alert he left and false teachers did rise up amongst them people calling themselves christians rose up in their midst and they were trying to undo the gospel that Paul was preaching. They were trying to add to it, pervert it, distort it, and, and mess it all up. It wasn't the gospel anymore. And because those those Galatians had put their guard down, they weren't ready for it. The people, the Christians in, in, these, in this area of churches that were teaching this false doctrine, Paul had a name for them. They were the Judaizers. Why were they called the Judaizers? Because their version of the gospel actually enslaved people back to Judaism. Enslaved them back to this works-based mentality, this works-based system that Jesus has freed all of us from in the gospel. So if you take this works-based mindset into your faith, the same thing will happen today that happened back then functionally you may say you're a Christian functionally you may show up to the right places but in reality you're saying sayonara Jesus if you add your works to the work of Christ you're saying goodbye don't need that guy anymore and your actions speak louder than your words so Paul's writing this letter to say no not on my watch this isn't gonna happen these teachers that have come in among you they're saying that they're Christians. They're saying that they believe in grace. They're saying that God's merciful. But here's what they're actually saying. What they're actually saying is that God didn't, Jesus didn't, didn't save you completely. Jesus merely made it possible for you to be saved. See the difference there? Jesus made it possible for you to be saved, and, and Jesus was God's way of going 99.99999% of the way to your salvation. But you gotta, you got to make up that whatever that fraction is for you. It's not halfway. No, they wouldn't say that. They wouldn't make it that obvious. It's not even a, a third of the way. It's not even a fourth of the way. You just gotta go, you know, just that one yard to, to get there. And so as we study the book of Galatians, here's what you and I should be asking ourselves. Do I have a, a works-based mindset when I think of God's love for me? When I think of my justification before God, when I think of the day that I will stand before God, what will I be looking to to understand how that will pan out for me in that moment. Am I a works-based thinker when it comes to religion, when it comes to the Christian faith? Or am I a works-based thinker? So so we're looking at six verses today. And I think there's four really clear points that Paul is going to make in these six verses. So what I want to do to start is I just want to read all six verses, And then we're going to go back and look at those four points that he makes in those six verses. So if you'll turn to me, I I tell you what, let's read all seven. We'll go ahead and start at the beginning of chapter one, or I mean, sorry, chapter five. That verse one, it actually fits in the paragraph before, uh, but I won't get into that argument. I'll go ahead and read it as part of chapter five just um, for the sake of this sermon. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So there's all seven verses. Now I want to look at four points that he makes in those verses. Here's the first point. It's in verse 2. When you add a work to Christ, you subtract Christ altogether. That's his first point. If you add to Christ, you subtract him altogether. Look at verse 2 again. Look, I love it, how it starts. Hey, look, look, buddy, look. <laughs> I don't know, I just feel him saying that to me. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, remember that's that first act of the law, Christ will be of no advantage to you. So we've heard about, you've heard of the saying, well, that's addition by subtraction, right? Well, this is just the opposite. This is subtraction by addition, if you add a work of you, uh, of yours to the work of Christ in salvation, you actually subtract Jesus from the equation altogether. This is what Paul is teaching, and it's no surprise because he's already taught this in the book of Galatians. By this point, in fourteen weeks of studying the book of Galatians, you've got to be thinking, Cody, every sermon's running together. You're saying the same thing every week. It's this is re- a repetitive message, and we need it. Beaten into our brains. This is, this is like Holy Spirit-inspired therapy for us. We need it. We need to hear this over and over again. But he's already made this point. In chapter 2, verse 20, he says it this way. This life, we now live in the flesh. I, I, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then he says this. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if justification were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So, I mean, if you think you can present your merit to God in any way, you have subtracted Christ from the equation. That's how this is set up. We don't like to think that that's how it works, but Paul's saying, no, that's how it works. So for those Christians out there, and there are many, there are many denominations, many churches, many Christians that would believe this and, and even preach this and wear it as a badge of honor. They believe Jesus only provided the possibility. He 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 went 99.9 percent of the way, but you got to have that one percent. That's on you. That one percent is a work that you got to come up with. This Galatians is God's response to you who try to think that way. It's it's a rebuke and to truly understand Paul's position on this you have to understand what he really feels about circumcision in and of itself Paul isn't against circumcision if you make this whole argument in Galatians just about circumcision you're completely missing what Paul's trying to say here he's not against circumcision he's been circumcised he he was he, he was a Jew when you look at the, uh, his protégés, you look at Timothy. Timothy was actually half Jew, half pagan. We don't know what, his, what, what ethnicity his father was. But he was raised by his mom and grandma as a Jew. And so eventually they had Timothy circumcised just because they knew it would be a major hang-up with the Jews that Timothy was trying to share the gospel with. But, uh, so, so in Timothy's case, he went ahead and got circumcised because there's nothing wrong with circumcision in and of itself. But with Titus, another follower of Paul's, another disciple of Paul's, Titus, he was was totally pagan. There's no Judaism taking place in his household where he grew up. But he wasn't forced to get circumcised, it said. And so it's not about circumcision in and of itself. He doesn't, like, hate circumcision. What he's against is this mindset that believes circumcision plays a role or that something we do plays a role in how God will judge us on the last day. And so we, so, so that we understand this rightly, we see a dichotomy, a Holy Spirit-inspired dichotomy in the book of Galatians. When it comes to your salvation, here's the dichotomy. Jesus is either all of the value of your salvation or he's none of the value. Of your salvation people don't like that dichotomy you know why because like the Judaizers they want to say that Jesus is some of the value of your salvation they'll even go as far as to say Jesus is most of the value he's the vast majority of the value of your salvation well the book of Galatians will not let you get away with that any honest reading of this book of the Bible won't let you get away with that Jesus is either all of the value of your salvation, or he's none of it at all. If you try to add to what he's done, he'll be of no advantage to you. If you try to add to what he's done, it will actually nullify what he has done. These are the terms that the Bible gives us to think through our faith. I, wouldn't have, I would not have understood the Christian faith in those terms had I not been corrected by the book of Galatians with all of the different teachings and things like, like Creflo Dollar never taught me that one. (laughs) Like, all of the the different versions of Christianity, Christianity that I've been exposed to, I didn't have people setting it in front of me in those terms, but when you get into the Bible, that's the dichotomy. These are the rules. Jesus is either of an advantage to you or not, and if you try to add your work, your good deed, or anything to try to tip the scales in your favor, Then you are subtracting everything that he's done from who you are before God. So to truly believe that Christ is an all-sufficient Savior means you are not a Savior at all. That's how the Bible teaches us to think about it. When you think about your role in salvation, stop. Jesus is the whole role. He, he He is the whole substance. So here's the second point he's trying to make, and it's in verse 3. He's saying that if you accept human effort as a means of salvation, you got to go a lot further than what you realize. If you absolutely insist on believing in a works-based salvation, you are in way bigger trouble than what you think. Look at verse 3 again. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision, that he is obligated to keep the whole law. So, I mean, when people want to think functionally with a works-based mindset in the Christian faith, they usually just want to create a one-yard touchdown. This is my one football analogy for the whole year, so soak it up, bud. We want to make salvation, we want to make the touchdown easy. Jesus came the whole way, but you still got to go that one yard. And so we create uh, this, this holy... Uh, football field in which I can score a touchdown by just going one yard. Just get up out of your feet, uh, out of your seat and come forward and pray the sinner's prayer and you can go that one yard and you can score the salvation touchdown. (laughs) And so Paul's like what are you talking about? That's not how this works. There is no one yard touchdown. There is no one yard football field. You got to go the whole hundred yards. If you're going to accept the fact that you're going to score this touchdown, you've got to go the entire distance. You have to go the whole way. And for those of you that love football, you're like, I understand the gospel now. <laughs> you're welcome. You know, circumc- circumcision, what Paul was trying to say, it's, it's the front door to legalism. If you accept one work as something that plays into your salvation... Paul says, "Don't stop there. If you got to do it, then you got to do it all. You got to go the whole hundred yards. There's dietary laws after circumcision, and when you get through those, you got all these ceremonial laws, uh, and, and it goes on and on and on. If you're, and I, I think Paul's point in the book of Galatians too with this circumcision argument is, what makes you think you can just pluck out that one thing and that's the one thing you got to do?" If you gotta live up to the law you gotta live up to all of it what makes you think you could just pluck circumcision out and say well that's all you got to do what in the law would make you think that and the answer is obviously nothing in the law would make you think that it's the front door any work thought in those terms is the front door to legalism and it never ends I mean you gotta think of circumcision it's kind of like our wedding vows when I when I when I made vows to Amanda on my wedding day I didn't, like, complete my marriage by taking a wedding vow, right? As a matter of fact, I obligated myself to a life lived a certain way. I I obligated myself to a lifelong relationship with this person that takes a lot of work, right, to make that work. And so we have to, if if we're going to insist on a legalistic mindset, you got to go the whole way it's not halfway it's not a third of the way it's not a 16th of the way it's not just that one yard it's it's the whole way what would make you think that you could raise or lower that bar you know if you were going to think in a in a works-based mindset what is it then is it coming forward at the service is it or is it the baptism or, or or is it what is it is it showing up to the potluck dinner at Masonic Park that was another little plug there for you to remember that coming up where do you stop if you start down that road where does it end and what makes you think we can control that bar well I'll lower it this you know but I still got to step over it what makes you think you can change you have no authority to change that bar God set the bar on Mount Sinai when he gave Moses the law here's how you can be perfect If you want to accomplish your salvation, live up to the law. Here it is. He set the bar. God is perfect. He is the bar. He's the standard. Just like Jesus taught, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. That's how he would preach on the Sermon on the Mount. Because God is the standard. We don't get to lower the bar and say, like, well, I just got to be, you know, better than Adolf Hitler, and that'll get me in. And that's what we typically do, right? We pick the worst possible human being we can think of in all of human history. I'm not that bad. Well, that's not the bar. God is the bar. And so if you choose the bar, wherever you think you can set it, which you can't, then the third point he's making here is if you choose the law, you reject grace. Grace. By choosing a works-based mindset, you are rejecting Jesus entirely. Look at verse 4 again. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. You who who insist on being justified before God by following the law, you're severing yourself from Christ altogether entirely. Now, a a lot of teachers and 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 a, a lot of um, uh, preachers will, will want to get distracted here, and they'll, this is a really common verse to be plucked out and put into the argument of once saved, always save, or if saved, always saved. Now, depending on what kind of church background you have, you may believe that uh, once you're saved, once someone is saved they will persevere to the end it's a guarantee a lot of other churches teach something very different they they teach that you can actually become a christian be filled with the holy spirit and then do something wrong and become not christian anymore and lose the holy spirit so those are the that's where the debate lies within the christian faith and so it's often the the case that people that are on this side of the debate that believe that you can lose your salvation or do something to unmerit Uh, your your salvation they will pluck this verse uh, chapter 5 verse 4 out as a proof text to prove their case see you've been severed from Christ see you've fallen away from grace see and and of course as I always say when it comes to biblical interpretation remember these three rules context 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 you can add a fourth one if you want and it's context or if it, no, I won't keep going. But you know, context is everything. Is Paul teaching about once saved, always saved here? Is he teaching about in, eternal security in those terms? Is he, is he, is, he, is that what he's talking about? No, that's that's not. If you want to if you want to read Paul teaching about whether or not you can lose your salvation, go to Romans chapter eight. That's what that chapter is all about. That is precisely what he's talking about there. And Romans 8 and 9, go go there. That's, that's where he's teaching on that. But that's not what he's talking about here. He's not teaching that if you get circumcised, you will become unjustified. Do you know the word unjustified isn't even in the Bible? Just a side note. But that's not what he's talking about. He hasn't even definitively said if these if these uh, Galatian churches are full of unbelievers now because they've been duped by this false teaching. As a matter of fact, if you read this letter honestly, you would see how he's so abrasive and so in their face, and then then he calms down and calls them brothers, insinuating that he believes, even though they've been duped by some of this false teaching, they're still believers. They're still brothers in this family of Christ. And so when people try to pluck verse 4 out and convince me, that you can lose your salvation i'm usually just like dude chill out man these are new believers paul's trying to help them out stop condemning them to hell he's trying to correct them here they're young they're naive like relax what's the context the context as we've been studying the past 14 weeks is clearly that grace and law can't mix it's one or the other and so if you embrace the law functionally you are severing yourself from the message of Christ if you embrace the law and believe you can work your way to salvation you have fallen away from the message of grace you are traveling in the wrong direction you've fallen away from the message of grace in the sense that you've lost your grasp on what grace even means in relationship to the law right grace is unmerited favor unmerited favor in light of that law that's the only law you have to live up to or- so so again if you're gonna if you're gonna count if you're gonna count your merit your good works there's only one law that's been sanctioned by god it's the old testament law given to moses on mount sinai so if you do believe in a works-based salvation start at circumcision and get going you got a lot of ground to cover but you don't get to create this new law that by the way is not sanctioned by god you don't get to create a new law with new rules where the bar seems to be up and down and left and right depending on what church and pastor you're talking to that that's not how that works it's either the law or it's grace his his fourth and final point here is in verses five and six and here's what he's saying he, he's in this fourth point he's saying that believers in the gospel they think about righteous righteousness differently if you believe in this gospel of grace you're going to think about righteousness in a way you've never thought of it before especially if you grew up under the law read verses five and six along with me for through the spirit by faith we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love did you catch the difference there and how you should think about righteousness when you think about your righteousness before God it's you're thinking about something that you have hope in and you are waiting for It's not something that you're stockpiling yourself to carry along with you to present to God when you're on the judgment seat. Faith is something that you eagerly wait for in the hope of righteousness. It's because that righteousness is not of you. Right? I'm not relying on my obedience to be right with God. That's not how the Bible teaches me how to think. There's no hope and assurance in that at all, at all. I'm I'm relying on the obedience of Christ to save me. That is the Christian faith. And so we don't have to we don't have to think about this. We don't we don't have to like lower our view of God and, and think that I I can do two or three things to uh, satisfy a, an Almighty, all-powerful, all-perfect God, right? I don't need to do that. Uh, because the righteousness that I have before God is not of me; it's it's the righteousness of Christ. So, so in Christ Jesus, therefore, he's saying, circumcision or not, or no circumcision, it doesn't matter. So in Christ Jesus, your your works and my works and things like that. Some of you, some of you have done so many more good works in your life than I have. Some of you, I got you beat. <laughs> And we're going to figure out where we're at today. And, you know, you know it, it doesn't matter. That's not playing a role in my salvation. In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything in terms of justification before God. So I'm not going to add anything to the, to the work of Christ because that would subtract him altogether. If I added something, I'm going back to the law. And so we think about righteousness differently. That would, that would have been an entirely new concept for people if they grew up in Judaism especially. But that doesn't mean that we don't have good works in our lives. Because the Bible teaches us to think about those good works in a way that we, we pursue them, we desire them, we pray for those good works to, to manifest in our lives, but they aren't a means of obtaining the grace of God so we have we have this hope in the righteousness of Christ but then the faith that I have is always working through love as it says there it's always working through love so James says it the most popular way right he says faith without works is dead so when we have this faith in Christ and and we have this belief in his gospel of grace and the righteousness that he imputes to us through faith that we have before God the way that it manifests Is it manifests in good works? There will be good works, despite my sinful flesh, right? It will work out in works of love towards those around me. But those don't merit me any favor from God. Because I don't need it. So I don't... And you think about how that causes us to think about good works differently. If we have to think about good works in terms of being saved by God, like i got to do this to make sure that God loves me, man, good works are, are a heavy yoke, if that's how we think. Like if I have to be good in order for God to love me, that yoke is really, really burdensome. That, that, is, that is discouraging. How in the world can I satisfy a perfect God? How can I satisfy him with good works? If he's the standard, how can I come up with anything that's possibly enough to be loved and accepted by him? And so it's a huge burden. Why even try if that's what this is? But if, if righteousness is in response to the grace that I've already been shown, well then suddenly righteousness and good works, that burden's been lightened tremendously. I'm not doing this so God will love me. I'm doing this because God does love me. I'm not treating those around me uh, well and, and doing good works for him and, and loving my neighbor so that I can you know, tip the scales. I, I'm, I'm loving those around me and, and loving my neighbor because the, the scales have been tipped. Jesus did it. It's all him. He's the reason. And so our faith works out in love towards others. And, and what that means is that our lives aren't characterized by laws. So we don't have to be legalistic. I get in so many legalistic conversations with Christians. Can I do this? Can I not do this? Am I supposed to do this? kind of? And, and we, can get, we can really get overly legalistic. Morality matters. And the, the, the Old Testament morality that exists in the law, that's still true. I'm just not doing it to be saved by God. Because this religion that we have is in the Christian faith, in Jesus Christ it means that our lives aren't characterized by the law it's characterized by love so faith and law are mutually exclusive but faith and love that's something that's inseparable you can't have one without the other so let's 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 freely bask in this salvation that we have in Christ in communion today and let's think about how the holy spirit would lead us to express that love As we live out our lives let's pray lord again we thank you for the book of galatians that covers such a critical aspect of our faith lord we are inclined as human beings to think in in uh, about love and acceptance in in a conditional way we have to meet certain conditions for relationships to work in our lives, and so we have to work for those things to work. And so, Lord, we project that onto you, and we think that that must be how our relationship works with you. We have to meet certain conditions in order to be loved by you, but it's the Bible that teaches us: your love is unconditional. That blows our minds. We have to be. We have to come back to that over and over, because it's so difficult to understand. We have to keep coming back to that over and over and over again because the the further we go without hearing that again, the more likely we are to believe that that can't be true. So Lord, we thank you for this repetitive message in the book of Galatians. and We thank you for our salvation that we have through your son. He met all of the conditions for us. And so Lord, help us to remember that in a time of communion that we'll remember his righteousness that he lived out as we take the bread that we would remember him and his righteousness that is imputed to us that's given to us so when we stand before you someday it's his righteousness alone that you see Lord as we take the juice to remember that all of our sins have been atoned for in Christ on the cross All of my sins in the past, all of my sins that I deal with today, and all of my sins that I'll commit in the future that I don't even know about yet, but I'm sure will arrive. You died for all of our sins, the once and for all sacrifice, as we're told in Hebrews. Lord, it's been paid. The debt has been paid. Help us to remember that truth and to live in your unconditional love, Lord, that by your grace we can... See these works of love and good deeds, and you'll get all of the credit for it. We're not doing it to earn your love. We're doing it in response of your love. But we thank you for your gospel message.